I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Juliet Fink-Yates, Digital Inclusion Manager for the City of Philadelphia. Juliet and I discuss what's causing the digital divide in Philadelphia and what is and isn't working when it comes to trying to fix it. We also discuss the city's new digital equity plan, what programs are involved, and what Philly needs from public and private partners in order to achieve its goals. Juliet, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So before we dive into the digital divide in Philadelphia, um, tell me a bit about your role, uh, your, um, what you do as far as broadband is concerned in the Philadelphia government. So I am the Digital Inclusion Manager in the Office of Innovation and Technology for the City of Philadelphia. Um, I was very fortunate. Um, I was hired um, the week before the pandemic hit. Um, And (laughs) I um, have been doing this work for about 20 years, and I was really fortunate to have worked with the city um, previously on very large um, stimulus broadband grants um, under the Obama administration. And so under that set of grants, the city worked to create a system of what they called key spots or public computing centers and a whole bunch of digital literacy training. And um, I worked very closely with the city on those grants. And so they, um, the city of Philadelphia actually was funded by the Independence Public Media Foundation to bring on the very first digital inclusion fellow. And I was brought into that position um, largely because I knew a lot of the programs already that the city had going. Um, and, um, and so, and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> my role um, really, uh, I wouldn't say shifted, but um, expanded because yeah. suddenly everybody realized how important it was to have internet access, have access to a device, have the skills to use the internet. Um, and so since I've been at the city now, I've really been able to launch a handful of programs um, to improve the digital divide um, to, or to address the digital divide in Philadelphia and um, really created a digital equity strategy um, for the city of Philadelphia so that we can think about how to, um, how to address these needs um, and really, really work um, on digital equity moving forward. So um, I want to get into the programs that you've introduced, um, but let's start uh, a bit, let's back up a bit and talk about the actual digital divide in Philadelphia. Um, what does it look like in the in the Philadelphia communities, um, and what is the reason for the digital divide there? Sure. So um, in Philadelphia, like in many urban municipalities, um, what we really see is that there is... Um, there's been an increasing number of people with internet access, but there are still large numbers without internet access, large numbers who've never had access to what we call a large screen device in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a laptop, a desktop, or a tablet. Um, there are a number of folks with limited skills or who don't feel very confident in their skills. And so I'll, I'll just give you a few numbers, um, but we've made, we really have made progress over the past two years. So um, 84% of Philadelphia households right now have wireline broadband. So that means that they have a wired connection, coaxial cable or fiber to their home. 
Um, and that's an increase from 70% in 2019. Um, so that's that's a pretty solid improvement. But then when you look at, um, you drill down into some of the subpopulations, you really see the disparities. So only 67% of older Philadelphians actually have wireline broadband. Um, and um, only 70, uh, I think it's only 71% of households with annual incomes $20,000 or less have wireline broadband. Mm. Um, so you really begin to see um, how it really, how there are certain populations that are left behind. And that's that's true for devices as well. Um, you might see 88% of Philadelphia households have a smartphone. Um, so there's still 12% of households. That's a pretty large number that don't even have yeah. a smartphone still. That's a lot. Um, and the other thing we see in Philadelphia is that um, uh, discount programs, so affordability is really the number one reason folks cite as, ha as not having internet access. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, what that means is that, um, and the price point that folks say that they really need internet access is at $20 or less. And so that is something that's the context of Philadelphia. We see a lot of folks that um, have limited internet access. Um, we see a price point that where it's becoming unaffordable for folks. Um, and then we also have, um, we have this new data now that shows that about 32% of Philadelphia households or almost a third are what is called subscription vulnerable. And this is a really interesting new term because we've shifted, we are now in a situation where a lot of people have at one time had internet access and either they've lost it because they can no longer afford it, they've moved for whatever reason, they're vulnerable to losing that subscription internet. And so, um, you know, they're often folks who are low income households, um, and they may be housing vulnerable, like I said. Um, but this concept really tells us that um, for folks who can't afford it, um, they're not going to have consistent and reliable internet access um, if they are kind of keep moving in and out of services, if there's not mm -hmm. a subsidized option for them. So, okay, so that's that's pretty interesting. And we know there is a subsidized option now at the federal level, the Affordable Connectivity Program, which is the longer term version of the emergency broadband benefit, which came out of uh, COVID relief package. Um, so is it just programs like that that help your communities or, or what else can you introduce to make broadband more affordable? Because even a $30 discount doesn't get you to $20 on most broadband plans. It's a great question. Um, so I think that there is a combination of things that need to happen. So what we know is that discount internet options do make a difference. Programs like the Affordable Connectivity Plan, programs like Comcast Internet Essentials, um, and programs like PHL Connected, which was Philadelphia's um, response during the pandemic to ensure every pre-K through 12 household had internet access for free who needed it. So programs like that do make a difference. And our data shows that um, these programs account for a nine percentage point increase in broadband adoption across Philadelphia um, and a 21 percentage point increase in adoption for K-12 households. So programs like this are really meaningful when they, um, and you can see where they're impactful when they really target certain populations. So everybody knew that our K-12 populations when they went remote needed 
we need to throw everything at that group to figure out what's going to work. And then you see that real increase in um, broadband adoption. And so I think there's two things. One, we need big programs like the ACP and we need them to be permanent um, so that we know how to enroll folks in and they don't have to worry about losing their broadband access, you know, if they're subscription vulnerable. And then we also really need to work with um, these trusted messengers, our community-based organizations, because just by having these programs, we also know that people are not aware of them and they're difficult to access. So they're difficult to actually sign up for. Yeah, I wanted to hear a little bit more from you about what the experience has been in Philadelphia in trying to get uh, households and families to sign up for these programs. And, you know, I know the FCC is trying uh, to do a better job with the ACP than with the EBB and certainly has more funding to be able to do more outreach uh, with this program. Um, but from an on the ground perspective, what works and, and what doesn't work and what do you need to be done differently in order to get more people in Philadelphia uh, enrolled in these types of programs? So I think we learned that um, the things that don't work are you can build something, but it doesn't necessarily mean people will come, um, that there is a lot of very, very targeted and specific outreach um, and communications that you need to do. Um, and so I think, you know, the FCC did learn that and there's a whole, um, hopefully a significant amount of funding for community-based outreach, specifically, again, using these trusted messengers to get the word out. Um, so one is just about communication outreach and, and that's really important. Um, we also saw that through our PHL Connected program. So we set up a hotline, we communicated, the district um, did robocalls to every student. Um, they sent out notices and emails. Um, and then, you know, what we saw was that um, when we actually started um, calling almost every household to let them know that PHL Connected was available to them of, of our district households. And a lot of families were still completely unaware um, that this program was available to them. This is several months after we launched. And I think there's, there's the reason folks are unaware is that they're busy, right? And even though they need a service like this, it takes a lot of time to call, sign up, then you go to Comcast and you get the promo code, then you have to wait for it to get installed. So there's internet is actually, especially if you want it to the home, it's not that easy. There's there's significant steps. And I think our goal has always been to try to figure out how do we reduce the steps? How do we make it as easy as possible? And so programs that can make things very easy are going to work better than programs um, that have a lot of steps. And so, and, and so there's this one-to-one -one direct communication. Um, and then there's also, you need to follow up, say, did it work? Did you have any trouble? And then you need to add the support layer. And because what we found is that families had really complex um, challenges in signing up. And I'll give you some examples. So we, we launched a digital navigator program at the same time as we launched our PHL Connected program. And so our digital navigators could help support any family that needed help signing up for PHL Connected or the ACP. They're available for helping anybody in Philadelphia get connected to the internet. And so they might have a family, they're undocumented, they're living in a room in a multi, in a home. They can't themselves get wired internet access. Um, 
or they could get wired internet access in some instances, but you know they're sharing it with 10 people in the household. And so internet essentials is not gonna work for them. Um, mm -hmm. They're gonna need something more robust. So our PHL connected solution may not be the right option for them. So then we have to figure out what to do with this particular household. So there is really, really complex issues when you start digging into the home model. And in some of these instances, we've always had a hotspot component of our PHL Connected program too. So we could distribute those hotspots really quickly to families when we couldn't quite figure out if there was a, a wired solution that would work for them. Gotcha. And why don't you tell me a bit more about PHL Connected because we haven't gotten the background on that yet, but it's clearly an important program. <laughs> so sure, I'll tell you about the programs that Philadelphia in general, it has launched sure. and kind of Great. what we do. Um, so I'll start with PHL Connected. Um, so PHL Connected is um, is a program that we launched to ensure that all pre-K through 12 households um, could have free internet if they were in need. Um, and so we use two solutions for that program. We um, Folks can either get a Comcast Internet Essentials account or they can get a T-Mobile hotspot. Um, and the T-Mobile hotspots are really meant for families who had more vulnerable living situations, um, might be in shelters, or like I said, might be uh, subletting a room in a home. Um, and so um, that program to date, we've been able to um, provide um, 21,000 internet connections um, wow. across Philadelphia households. Um, and so it's been a, a pretty successful program that we're really proud of. We partnered with United Way to launch um, a two-on-one hotline so that anybody could call that hotline and get their solution. Um, and that's really uh, how we've how we've set up that program. It's also been a major partnership with the, with the Philadelphia School District, as well as 68 different charter schools and the independent mission schools. So we really tried to lay out a solution across any school community that could work for them. Um, so that's sort of our biggest our biggest effort to date that we launched since the pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, we had a program called the Digital Literacy Alliance. And that program um, had a seed fund from Comcast, um, although other, um, other partners uh, have contributed to it as well. Um, and that is, a, a, the DLA is sort of a collection of um, important stakeholders in this work. So uh, members of the DLA include all of our ISPs and include a handful of um, uh, local community-based organizations that have been doing digital inclusion work for some time, some of our universities, our workforce board, Philadelphia Works, um, the Free Library, for example, is on the Digital Literacy Alliance. And so that group then um, puts out a couple grants every year um, for innovative digital inclusion ideas. Mm -hmm. So one year when the census was running, we had a whole grant round just focused on the census. When the pandemic hit, we did an emergency grant round to launch the digital navigator program that I have mentioned. Um, and so that digital navigator program set up um, three organizations to become experts as, as digital navigators. They launched helplines, so they phone numbers that could be called and they would have a digital navigator expert um, get back to somebody. And their primary goals were to help folks get access to the internet, help find a free or low cost device, um, get help with like very specific tasks, like how do I get on this telehealth visit? How can I help get on Zoom with my kid? Um, 
and then refer folks into digital literacy training programs or other digital skill building programs that they might need. Um, and so that effort um, is where we really get sort of these golden nuggets of actually what's going on on the ground and how complex it is. Our digital navigators have really become experts and they really know how to sign people up very quickly <laughs> for internet access and how to navigate all sorts of issues. I mean, they've, I just had a, um, one of our digital navigators send us information about going back and forth over several weeks about a bill issue with one of our providers um, and having them really struggling to sign up for the ACP. So they really act as advocates on behalf of our community members to really get them the services that they need. Are these volunteers? No, no, no. They are. So they're funded to the, each organization. Okay. The three organizations are um, uh, Drexel's Excite Center, uh, Beyond Literacy, um, Drexel's Excite Centers in West Philly, uh, Beyond Literacy is in North Philadelphia, and CMAC, which serves a Southeast Asian population um, largely, but also many other populations in South Philadelphia. And so each one of these organizations sets their digital navigators up a little bit differently, but um, some are case management staff, um, some are um, uh, co-op students, Drexel has a series of co-op students that are running the helpline, um, and some are staff and, and VISTA, student uh, AmeriCorps VISTA members, for example. So. Um, but they, they spend a dedicated amount of time really helping folks. Um, and so they really are, um, uh, they don't necessarily need to be full-time employees, but they really are staff who are pretty dedicated to figuring yeah. out the right solution and have built up their knowledge base. Yeah, that's fantastic. So it sounds like you guys have a lot of great programs um, and that have a lot of research and, and community knowledge that have been built into them. Um, and now you've announced uh, a digital equity plan um, that's more of a longer term vision for the city. So uh, I assume that's going to contain some of these existing programs that you've already talked about. But tell me a bit about more a bit more about this plan, um, what the long term vision is for it and, and what's going to go into it. So the plan um, really brought together um, sort of all these different groups from all these different areas uh, to look at um, kind of the landscape of Philadelphia and to hear from different communities what we needed to do and, and how we, what ideas they had to, to move forward. Um, we laid out sort of four goals that we wanted to achieve. So one is that Philadelphians can access appropriate and affordable devices. The second was that Philadelphians can access and afford the internet connectivity they need. The third was that Philadelphians developed the digital skills necessary for work and life. And the fourth was that we grow and sustain um, our own capacity and infrastructure to increase digital equity as a city. So those are the overarching goals. And it's and each one of them has several initiatives um, over the next five years that we would hope to accomplish. Um, some of those do include continuing our programs like PHL Connected, Citywide Digital Navigation Network. Um, other ones, though, include, um, so one of our programs that I um, had mentioned was the Citywide Public Computing Centers. And we are reinvesting in um, what we're calling Keyspot Innovation and Technology Centers. So these are public computing centers housed within recreation centers. Um, the recreation centers have really become 
kind of critical lifelines in neighborhoods. And so they're already serving young people, many are serving seniors, and they've really become places where anybody can go to get information and access to resources. So these kit centers are now open in eight locations, um, and the idea is to build a model uh, where there's you know, computer access, dedicated support staff to help people with those computers, and then um, linkages, so they would have some digital navigation support there, but then linkages to adult education programs, digital literacy classes will be held there, and into more intensive workforce training programs. So really seeing these as digital inclusion hubs um, that folks can get more services from. So that's one of the exciting things that we um, are really hoping to, to build on as part of our digital equity plan. Um, the other uh, priorities that we really heard a lot about that we're, we are in various places around thinking about how to roll things out and how to move on them, um, one is really that there isn't a large-scale recycling, refurbishing, and tech support operation in Philadelphia. And mm -hmm. so this is a really big priority. Um, we know that devices are needed. We know that our refurbishing community is really good at getting devices and getting it out. Um, but Philadelphia kind of has a couple small refurbishers, um, and we don't have a really large operation. And the missing component is that we don't have what we call community tech support. So the digital navigators can kind of help with, how do I get a device? How do I get internet? But when it comes to sort of level two, level three, break, fix tech support, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of places to go. Um, and so a device that doesn't work in your home is not usable and it's not going to do any good to you. And so we continually heard that this need for tech support, particularly IT help desk support, was really important. So we're really intrigued by that idea and really want to figure out how to make that happen here in Philadelphia. And then the other um, two areas that we're really excited to think about how to move on um, are around infrastructure. So one is around taking, we have 150 recreation centers and thinking about how we can bring high capacity fiber to every one of those recreation centers and then public Wi-Fi um, to the surrounding campus. That's a really big project, um, but it's a really critical project to one, provide a network um, that reaches every single neighborhood um, and that really um, takes this public Wi-Fi out of just the um, you know, center city high traffic areas and allows every single community to have access to it. Um, and then the second one, and it's slightly related, is um, really looking at um, community-led, low-cost wireless networks that could be for home internet access. So we have mm -hmm. a couple really interesting projects. One is called Community uh, Philly Community Wireless Network, which is building a mesh network in North Philadelphia. Um, so these are networks in areas where there may not be as many internet options. Um, Philadelphia, we only have uh, really two wired options, um, Comcast and Verizon, and um, Verizon isn't everywhere in the city. And so for some communities, they really only have one option. So thinking about um, community-led, low-cost wireless internet networks, like mesh networks um, and other WISPs, um, we think are really important component into to our long-term kind of ecosystem, planning out our ecosystem in Philadelphia. So um, how much of this plan depends on uh, federal funding, grant funding, all that funding? <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's a great question. So some <laughs> of the plan, um, again, with some of the initiatives that we are we have in place, like PHL Connected, we have some funding for um, our digital navigators. We have some funding for, um, but the federal investments are really important because there mm-hmm. hasn't, there isn't really a dedicated funding stream for this kind of work. So if you think about education or adult education, there are federal funding streams yearly that come down the pipeline that help sustain that work. And there hasn't been anything like that for digital equity work. And so I think mm-hmm. the the, um, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act is sort of that first pass at really taking a big chunk of investment and putting it towards digital equity and broadband. Um, and so it is really important. And you know we hope that some of that federal investment can help either lift up um, some of these projects um, or help contribute to sustaining them over time. Um, but we, you know, also have a great relationship with philanthropy and with other private entities. Um, and so we think that there are opportunities for the plan gives folks a whole range of options and lets them think about where some of these ideas um, excite them and where they can plug into this work, because it can't just be city government doing all of it. We know that it's going to take city government, private funder, funders, you know, philanthropy and federal dollars to to work and sustain these programs. Absolutely. Um, I could talk to you for the rest of the weekend. It's like Friday at 3.30 right now, um, but I'm going to let you go instead uh, because you're doing amazing work there in Philadelphia um, and I'm going to let you get back to it. So thank you so much, uh, Juliet, and I hope that you'll keep us posted on all the fantastic work that you've got coming up in, in Philadelphia. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you again, Juliet, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.